It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned, though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. That's right. Welcome back to Mark Out Radio. Your boy Dark Fox here with you again after a couple weeks off. Couldn't be helped. Ah, oh, sorry. Just couldn't be helped. All right. So we are back in the saddle. <laughs> back to doing, um, well, the shenanigans that you've all grown to love. The love is a strong word. I don't think it's that. <laughs> to tolerate. Grown to tolerate. Anyways. This is our last week at the Disney MGM lot. Uh, this is for August 5th, 1996 in, of course, Orlando, Florida at the Disney MGM Studios lot. Episode 47. There's still 450 people in attendance, according to WCW. The gap has narrowed, and the fans are speaking as far as the ratings go. Um, despite the NWO, they're annoyed with the same set week after week, and the ratings are the closest that they've been since the 83 weeks, that's actually 76 weeks, first started. That's right, fans. Eric's entire premise of his book and his podcast is built on an exaggeration. Who the fuck could have known? This week, Nitro edges out Raw to stay on top for the eighth week in a row with a three to Raw's 2.8. Tony and Larry start things off explaining that the wrestlers are going to handle their own security from now on as Bubba... Norton, Ming, and Barbarian come out to ringside. That's right, the Dungeon of Doom. Come out to ringside to be security tonight. We pan over to the four empty chairs, which this time the announcers did speculate that they're out there for the NWO, even though last week they didn't, but then, of course, claimed they did in the recap. Isn't recreating history fun? Normally, pay-per-views are on Sundays, but WCW has only been letting fans know that Hogwild is on Saturday for the last two weeks of their bill to the pay-per-view, to be fair, they had to move the pay-per-view because most of the bikers leave on Sunday, and if they want a crowd, they need to do it Saturday. There's nothing wrong with programming on the fly. I'm glad I came to their attention before they had an empty fucking crowd at ringside. Um, however, the pay-per-view buys will show fan confusion, as there are only 155,000 buys uh, you know, programmed on the heels of 175,000 buys for the bash of the previous month. Now, don't forget to go watch Hogwild after you listen to this episode, of course. We'll discuss it briefly at the top of next week's show before we get going with that week's shenanigans. But this week on Nitro, WCW World Tag Team title match starts us off as Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray, with Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry, defeat the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gidspin in uh, no... We don't know what time, and I'll tell you why we don't know what time. Um... Because there's no bell to actually start the match. Um, the bell that ended the match was sort of there. Kind of. Yeah. Anyways, I gave that one two out of five. Harlem Heat gets a chant before things kick off in the match. There's a commercial break. Basically, as soon as they tie up uh, Booker and uh, Ricky Morton. And we get a snap into a Slim Jim extended commercial from uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Back from break. Stevie, back from break. Jesus. Stevie Ray pulled something in his left leg, and while he did an excellent job of hiding it, there was a telltale limp, and he spent very little time in the ring, and when he was in the ring, 
you could tell by the look on his face as well as how he was sort of walking gingerly on that left foot uh, that it was really getting to him. Parker and Sherry played up their romance to take the attention off the fact that Stevie was hurt and to further the Parker heat aided by Tony shooting on the amount of teams that have lost because of having Colonel Robert Parker as their um, manager. Sure. Sherry leaps up on the ring apron to kiss Gibson, who shakes her off. Parker leaps up to fight him. Gibson nails him and turns around into a kick from Stevie, who barely keeps his balance. And then Booker gets the pin while being so under the bottom rope that his feet were actually on the crash mats at ringside. WCW really needs a better ring. 1-800-COLLECT-RECAP of the match is Sherry's failed kiss attempt. After this, we get a Gene Rant promo with the Nasty Boys weighing in on the NWO, and they've got zero problems with them. So Sting and Luger come out to draw the line in the sand. Oh, and to be clear, the Nasties don't condone what Hogan did, but there's nothing wrong with it either. Jesus, I'm not quite sure... Can you maybe try that one more time there, producer boy? All right. Thank you. Jesus Christ. Commercial break after this. A giant versus Pittman with Giants promo from last week. Glacier promo skipped it. We're a month removed from when he was supposed to debut, so he doesn't deserve any more coverage. After they get a singles match with Malia Hosaka with Sonny Ono, defeating Medusa in four minutes, 39 seconds. I gave that three to five. Now, Tony outlines that Medusa and Nagano have a bike-for-bike match at Hogwild. Uh, Medusa is, of course, bringing a Harley because she's American, and Nagano is going to bring a Japanese bike, but they have no idea what. (laughs) Why can't she bring a Harley, too? They make them over there. It is the 90s. Jesus Christ. Anyways, Hosaka is apparently from Osaka, which is why she's being repped by Sonny Ono. So for those of you keeping score at home, Hosaka is actually from Hawaii, while Sonny Ono is from California. Um, anyways, as Medusa comes back, <laughs> we're reminded that the night comes to the ring from the back. Jesus, we're reminded that the 90s really were a different time as Medusa comes out screaming that she's going to send the Jap back to the land of the rising sun. Holy shit. Jeez, I wonder why she had to get into monster trucks after New Japan stopped booking her. Anyways. I was kind of curious as to Hosaka's history because I've listen, I haven't watched a lot of new Japan in my days. I embrace the fact that I grew up in the nineties when wrestling, frankly, wasn't awesome. All right. Now that being said, I'm kind of curious when I see wrestlers names that I don't recognize, I kind of want to see what their history is like. And uh, listen, Hosaka's 50 something and she's still wrestling pretty cool actually now nah, of course it's in the indies and stuff but anyways so i did a you know google search about her i want to see what she's about and everything like that and so i kind of just happened upon uh wrestling with sin uh so if you guys google wrestling with sin they do um i don't know what you want to call them episodes but they are kind of episodes um and what they cover is uh, wrestling beefs essentially or fuck-ups or horrible shit that happens in wrestling And episode 111 covers Molly Holly, who started off in WCW as Starla Sexton and was also Miss Madness. Some of you will remember more her as Miss Madness. Now, while Malia Hosaka was competing in WCW, a young, hungry wrestler named Nora Greenwald, a.k.a. Molly Holly, was looking to break into the WCW. She approached Hosaka and uh, allegedly 
begged and pleaded for Osaka to use her vast connections to get her foot in WCW's door. Now, according to Osaka, Greenwald was broke and couldn't even afford a good pair of wrestling boots. Osaka wound up taking the young wrestler under her wing, got her some dark matches and WCW TV tapings as Sarla Sexton. Osaka said that after Sarla got into WCW, she made her own connections where she tossed aside <laughs> Osaka and they no longer talked. Starla would later reach fame as Miss Madness, I guess. And Randy Savage's female entourage. Osaka felt betrayed and the two were no longer friends. Osaka did say the two talked again and made up years later, but also says their friendship will never be the same again. Starla would later go into the WWE and become a star as Molly Holly. Osaka continued wrestling for several independents as well as TNA. Uh, it says in the article before retiring, but she's not retired. Now, I found an interview on Mirror from YT. Now, I think that might be an old radio broadcast for the Young Turks called The Mirror. I could be wrong, though. I have no idea what the fuck it is. I couldn't find a proper source on what it was. I'm taking a stab here. All right. So here's the interview with Malia Hosaka about the Molly Holly issue. Let's see if it'll play. Come on, little buddy. Is it? Hey. Dumbass. Why is there no volume? Her fifth match Thank career, you. she was doing uh, WCW Saturday night tapings at, uh, you know, Disney. Her fifth um, match. Yeah, like her fifth match of her career. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she didn't even have real boots or real gear at that time. And, um, you know, then Terry brought us up and we did some dark matches before Nitro. And for the next couple of years, or a year or so, um, she would call me every time WCW was coming to town to film, and she would ask me to call Terry, and I would always call Terry, and Terry would always invite us down and give us something. And um, I, I tried to protect her. I had a lot. Of, I tried to respect who she was and what she liked, and, and um, her religious views and how she was. And I, I tried to make sure that the boys didn't rib her or pressure her to do stuff. And I tried to look out for her. Um, Unfortunately, things came to a head, um, and I found out that she did. She didn't necessarily trust me as a friend the same way as I view her as a friend. And she went behind my back and did some things, and thinking that I was going to be jealous rather than happy for her, which started leading to the deterioration of our friendship and eventually a huge explosion between the two of us. So, that's oh, <laughs> a shame. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So um, she's one of those many knives in my back. <laughs> But is, is it something which uh, sort of hasn't been healed up or hasn't been resolved? Is, it, is there still that, uh, um, that scar there? There's still a huge scar there. I haven't talked to her since. Um, we've more or less buried the hatchet and, and made peace with it. But I can't really say that it's something I'm ever going to be over because she did get a... She, the thing is that the whole time she was calling me to use my connection through Terry Taylor, she was Lanny Poplar's roommate, and she could have at any point in time used his connections through Randy Savage and got in the same place that she wound up being. Um, but it wasn't until after Terry left WCW and had gone back to WWF and WWF had already told her that they weren't interested that our friendship finally fell apart. So I, I feel like she really used me to that point, to the point to where she no longer had a use for me. And then after that, we weren't going to be friends. And, you know, she, my opinions and my over-opinionatedness uh, finally got to her enough that she said, you know what, I don't, I don't like you and I don't want to be friends with you anymore, but, you know, I'm going to go be on WCW every week and I'm going to use all the girls that you book on the indies. 
that you don't like. Well, actually, not even the ones I don't like, because I did like Little Jeannie and um, <laughs> Brandy Alexander. I loved working with her. Um, but, like, the Dee Dee Venturi trick, I, there's no reason for her to have ever been given any type of TV time on WCW. Um, she wasn't that talented, and she definitely wasn't a diva. Jesus. Fucking harsh. God damn. That's the funny thing is uh, about wrestling. Just to take a little weird sidetrack here, how many people shoot on each other um, for perceived slights? Uh, you know, I, I get it. It sucks. Um, somebody comes in and not really steals your spot, but has something you don't have and uh, makes something of it. I don't know. A little sour grapes, in my opinion. But anyways, the always entertaining and educated wrestling fans in this match start chanting USA. For the two Americans that are in the ring, a limo pulls up at Nitro, and we get off of the ladies' match for a little bit. Back at the match, Medusa dropkicks Sonny Ono. We don't know why, because, of course, the camera wasn't there until the millisecond before she kicked him. Hosaka pins Medusa while Sonny holds her feet. Great heel victory. Tony and Larry claim that this will light a fire to Medusa's ass for her match against Nagano, which, of course, we all know is how wrestling works. If you lose 58 matches in a row, you're absolutely going to go over, right? That's how that works? Oh, is that is that not how that works? You, you don't go over if you just constantly lose matches? Hmm. Strange. All right. Anyways, so there is, uh, if you go looking on the Facebook and you're watching live, you're seeing some images now of the match. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not bad. She's got a very plain, very plain set of ring gear i'm not quite sure what excitement she thinks that molly holly doesn't have but um yeah i'm not quite sure that her assessment of her own skills is maybe on point anyways commercial break after this with ben while rop walking down to the ramp in super slow-mo and a saturday night promo after the comeback from break singles match alex wright defeating chris benoit that's right you heard that right with miss elizabeth and woman at ringside via countout at eight minutes, 20 seconds. I actually give this four out of five. The recap I got when I was originally looking into this episode had Deborah in there with Benoit. But obviously she's not here. Apparently, though, looking into it, there was some backstage heat between Deborah and Nancy because Deborah, at the time, believed that cheating was bad. I'm just going to leave that hanging out there, naked and ugly, all right? Nick Patrick is your ref for the match. You know what that means? Lock in for a fucky we coming for you, nigga! This is the single best match I've seen Alex Wright in. He sold really well. His comebacks were oh, went over. The fans really enjoyed him. However, um, the match kind of got cut short, which actually worked out okay. So, anyways, Hart comes out to shoot on Benoit and try to convince Nancy that she's wasting her time with the horseman, with Liz, and with Benoit. He yells at her while pointing at his tie, which has the Kevin Sullivan image, um... That she's driving someone backstage crazy. Now, for those of you keeping score at home, yes, we are still almost a year removed from the shoot feud between Benoit and Sullivan. According to Sullivan in his shoot interviews, I'm not going rogue here. According to the guy who claims that the other guy stole his wife, we are still almost a year removed from when that actually happens. But here, we've got announcers and a cameraman and arguably one of the best managers in the industry breaking kayfabe on live television. Really? Thank you. Holy 
shit. Blanco comes out, grabs a hold of woman, and Benoit leaps over the top rope. The two fight to the back, leaving the twink in the ring to chalk up the only W's that he's getting lately. So, again, why did Hart come out? I mean, he and his wife were close friends with the Sullivans, so much so that Hart's wife would comfort Nancy when Kevin would slap her around a little bit. Hart lost himself and went rogue, assuming that as the manager for the world champ, he'd probably get away with it. But he broke kayfabe bad at a time when WCW needed to walk a very thin line of holding to kayfabe while pushing the NWO simultaneously. And we're only eight weeks into their ratings wins. This was not the time to go rogue, but this was more evidence that there wasn't a practiced hand leading the company and things were being done as a reaction to shit that was going on that was getting too real. Now, why did Malenko come out? Well, the answer to that one is actually very simple. Eric sent him out. At this point, Sullivan really was losing his shit backstage. He had just torn apart the catering area because Liz and woman, who never went out to the ring with Benoit, no one came out with Benoit at the time. And now here they are out there with him. Now, Sullivan knew that he was losing Nancy by this point, and he was still booking the mid-card, including the Benoit Malenko match at Hog Wild. So Eric stepped in, and while Sullivan was having a meltdown backstage, he actually, very wisely, I might add, had Benoit's next opponent go out so they could put over the feud and build for the pay-per-view. Anyways, we dumped a break as Benoit and Malenko fight to the back area with Wright being declared winner with no bell ring, of course, because why on earth would we acknowledge it with the fucking ringing of the bell? Commercial break after this, followed by Randy Savage defeating Lord Steven Ringle with Jeeves in 6 minutes, 18 seconds. I gave that one 3 out of 5. Hour 2 starts during this match with no Pyro and no Heenan. Sting and Luger come out to watch the match and to keep an eye on Macho's back. After the match, they go to the limo that had pulled up and pull out a bouquet that Tony tells us he's being told says condolences for the death of WCW. Okay. I mean, overall, the match itself was decent with some pretty good stiff spots with Savage eating a couple of pretty stiff um, European uppercuts that actually kind of found their mark. We see blood in his mouth later on during his promo, but... Was it a great match? No, of course not. It was all about the fucking NWO limo and Sting and Luger again. After the match, Gene entering promo with Savage. Some fan at ringside was on Gene about his Matlock suit and got a shout-out on air. Anyways, <laughs> Savage is going to get a shot at Giant or Hogan after Hogwild for the WCW title. Sting and Luger get into the ring with the bouquet, which Macho then kicks into the crowd. Overall, just a weak-ass promo that sold absolutely nothing we get a commercial break here with booty man dancing down the ramp in super slow-mo recap of the guerreros being pissed off at flair and ray being pissed off at nash as we come back from break followed by the booty man with the booty babe defeating rick flair with deborah eliz and woman via dq and three minutes flat yeah two out of five the booty man and booty babe came out Flair gets a huge fireworks display, um, which presumably is the hour two firework fruit display. Tony tells us that Flair is the number one contender for the world title, even though Hogan's getting a shot in less than a week and Savage has the first shot afterwards. Fuck's sakes. I mean, Jesus. Flair comes out in a new robe with new rain gear. Arn follows shortly afterwards with his arm all bandaged up and sets up a chair to watch uh, down the ramp. The camera and the ref get distracted by Mongo and Benoit coming out to stand near the palm tree, allowing Flair to perform the slowest low blow ever that 
no one mentioned on commentary. Heenan comes out and gets a weak headset on, rants and raves for a little bit. Mongo and Benoit then come into the ring, lay a beating on the booty man, while Tony tells us that being a friend of Hogan isn't good for your health. Great kayfabe protection there from the horseman. Uh, the booty man, as far as we all know so far, is not a member of the NWO. We don't even know that the booty man is friends with Hogan. They've tagged up once. Once. Hogan's tagged with the giant more than that. Is the giant his buddy now? Well, I mean, that's kind of a spoiler alert, isn't it? All right, anyways. After this, we get a Gene in-ring promo with the horseman. Gene giving them shit for beating up the booty man. Arn quotes the Bible on how the New World Order is specifically mentioned in the good book. You know what else is mentioned in the good book, though? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. I mean, it was still pretty good, but come on. Benoit's, ver <laughs> Benoit's addition to this promo was okay. Mongo's was actually okay, too, but Flair's? My Fuck, was that a good promo? Actually, I got goosebumps, and that's really hard to do for this old bitter asshole, all right? After this, we get a commercial break, and back from break, the announcers recap last week's NWO attack, which gobbles up some airtime again, going long in the tooth this week. And then Larry Direct quotes the Bible as we go to break again. During the break, we get the NWO gritty promo. I guess that's coming back from break, isn't it? For Hogwild, and allows the stable to reveal that they're going to rename the belt the NWO New World Order World Championship. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't just fluff the tongue, does it? No, it's the NWO World Championship. Now, full on breaking down the fourth wall, as the production team stop the NWO promo on the orders of Sting and Luger in the production area, they then throw to Tony and Larry with the producer queuing them up by panically pointing at them. We get to hear the director letting them know they need to stall for time. And then, then they do. Now, don't get me wrong. Breaking kayfabe and breaking down the fourth wall. These aren't things that I have a problem with. They're fucking hilarious. But they are things that people like Hogan and Larry Zabisco do have a problem with being old school. So the fact that Eric's doing, <laughs> doing it and somehow got Hogan on board, somehow Larry Zabisco on board. I mean, it's great. And I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Lord knows this was not a hard sell for Holland <laughs> Nash, who, I mean, let's be fair, loved to break KK. We go back to the production room where our producer is on the phone with someone and Luger's over his shoulder. The director is being chastised, chastised by Sting. Someone says it's kind of fucked up. Now, part of me hopes the FCC caught that and find them, but I can't find a source to confirm that, so... I, I can't just say that it happened, but I did hear it's kind of fucked up. Now, it's not that I want the WCW fined, but it is great free publicity if they do. I mean, listen, it did wonders for Stern's career. Anyway, Sting and Luger are going to go get some free pot pie and Mountain Dew in their locker room as we dumped yet another fucking commercial break. Back from break, we get the world heavyweight title match as the Giant with Jimmy Hart defeats Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pittman with Teddy Long in two minutes, 33 seconds. As a match, I gave it one out of five. I was going to give it zero, but listen, Pittman actually did sell quite a lot to make the Giant look decent. As a promo, of course, as I'm rating all Giant matches leading up to him eventually losing the title, spoiler alert, as a promo, three and a half out of five. After Pippin and Giant come out, we dump the break yet again to <laughs> promote Hogwild. We get back 
to the action, and Nick Patrick struggles to show the title to the camera. That's right. Nick Patrick is back, so obviously you know how this match is going to go. And again, as a match, this was actually pretty shitty. As a promo, decent. Uh, you know, Giant beats Pittman by giving him the choke slam one time, pins him for an easy one, two, three. However, things then take kind of a... I don't want to call it a dark turn because it feels wrong to call it a dark turn. Um, but it kind of is a dark turn because if you're looking on, <laughs> if you're looking on Facebook right now, you will see that the giant is standing over Craig Pippo Pittman, who he, by the way, was about to just kick the shit out of again. When Teddy Long gets into the ring to ask him not to kick the shit out of his boy. So giant choke slams Teddy Long. Which all three men are members of WCW. No one in this nobody in this ring is NWO. But the announcer still put it over. So I mean I, I kinda I I just you know yes! Afterwards you get a Gene in ring promo <laughs> with our boy Giant. And um, listen, it's actually pretty fucking awesome. Uh, WCW is doing a really good job of selling Hogwild, even though they are fucking up the Giants gimmick and fucking up the WCW's gimmick in order to really put over the NWO's gimmick. Except that in order to put the NWO's gimmick, you need the WCW to be ultra face. You, you can't have the WCW doing heel things while trying to bury the quote-unquote bury the heel stable of the nwo i d whatever anyways after this we get a commercial break with the nasty boys entrance at the bash promo to promo their next match without actually telling us that in any way we get a glacier promo of um well of glacier kicking and posing and he's oversold and he's overdue and no one cares is that yeah, that, I, think that, I think that covers everything, doesn't it? I think it does. <laughs> I skipped it. I obviously skipped it. It was, it was awful. All right. Back from break, we get our main event match. Luger and Sting defeating the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags in seven minutes, five seconds, two out of five. I mean, just a fucking awful match. <laughs> it's just, just bad. I this. Listen, I like the... <laughs> I really do like... The Nasty Boys. I grew up watching the Nasty Boys. Uh, you know, they, they were big when I was going through a rebellious teenage phase. So I do. And then and, and I'm, I'm a big sting mark. But this whole fucking match was a fucking sacrilege. It was awful. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. The whole thing starts off with a recap of Saturday Night where Savage somehow has his grief briefcase back. And the, the commentators have to tell us that he's got his briefcase back. They don't tell us how he got it back. Just that in some time between last week's nitro and saturday night somehow he got the briefcase back and then of course after sting uses it on sags in the ring presume assume because the camera wasn't on him the the announcers just you know dusty tells us that he gets waffled with it uh macho then pins sags after sting knocks him out with the fucking halliburton and then of course deborah and mongo come out and grab it and scurry away like well like they're 1960s cartoon bad guys Anyways, the Nasty Boys entrance for this match looks very low-key and quick, which I thought was odd until I saw how badly they got buried in the match, and then it made 100% perfect sense. They're not big on selling when they're about to get fucked. Anyways, the signers come out while 
Sting and Luger's music is still going to join the um, security team of the Dungeon of Doom at ringside. The ref, of course, does absolutely nothing about signers attacking the Nasty Boys or generally interfering in the match throughout the entire fucking thing. I guess WCW are somehow the good guys just because they're WCW? I don't I don't quite. And the NWO is bad because they park a limousine every now and then and give them bouquets of flowers. I mean, it's really hard to tell with the booking. But we dumped a commercial break after this with uh, Tony telling us that maybe we'll be back after break. Maybe we won't. We don't know how things work anymore because we're only producing a television show. We get back from break. Yet another by the way, commercial break. There was three commercial breaks in a 10-minute span. Gene's in ring to do a promo with Sting and Luger and two kids who pose like Sting and Luger. Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to say it's only Florida, but let's be honest. This would happen fucking anywhere. Then Sting talks Luger into going to check if the Outsiders are in the limo that has just pulled back up again. Gene asks if this is a rib. Well, technically this isn't breaking kayfabe. It is kind of funny when Gene unknowingly breaks kayfabe live on the air. I don't know why I find it amusing. Maybe because everyone is so pro gene everyone just you know they put gene okerlund over as being this immensely proper professional fucking guy that you know did so much for the industry yada 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 and then here we go we've got here we go (laughs) we've got gene asking sting if this is a rib and sting telling him no it's not a rib gene come on over let's go check out the fucking limo we've got only got 30 seconds of airtime left who knows so Sting gets the door open. Somehow he's thrown a Turner handbag. I don't know. It's a leather satchel of some kind. Very, very 90s. Very nice. After the um, <laughs> after the show, there's an aired exclusive. Now, I don't know where the fuck it was aired because I don't remember seeing it on TNT, which at the time I was allegedly pirating. But apparently there was an aired exclusive that really did nothing except show that inside the leather satchel that said Turner on it, there's a letter from the NWO that says that Ed, the Ray was right. There is four members. Maybe there'll be five. See you in Sturgis. So with the post-show on-air exclusive, it wasn't a total waste of time. The unfortunate thing was that it was not on the air <laughs> on the station that um, Nitro was airing on. It was just, it's, if you go to watch it on the network, it's there. And it's marked that it's after after the after it's gone off air but jesus christ let's be really honest here though for this week the matches were okay for the most part the hog wild build has been going pretty well actually sting and luger acting more like heels than faces is odd the dungeon of doom acting as security is weird but okay i guess <laughs> i don't really have a problem with it. i i'm ambivalent to it because Ming standing there is no different than Ming being in the ring, to be perfectly honest with you. The psychological warfare of Eric's bag being thrown out of the limo with a note in it is fairly good. And most fans got it without the commentators having to help them like they do nowadays. Unfortunately, Sting didn't seem to get that, asking where the NWO logo was on the bag. But, you know, maybe he wasn't in on it. Anyways, as the go-home Nitro, it was solid. And with Hogwild... Next week's ratings will show that the fans are actually on board with it. I gave the entire show, (laughs) shameful as that is, I gave it a four because it did its job. It did what it was supposed to do, and it is. This is when WCW is really coming into its own. And granted, this is the 90s and the bar is not set very high, but it wasn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. It was decent. And I'm going to go watch Hog Wild now. (laughs) 
as you all should. And that's fucking it for me this week. Jesus, what a fuck clusterfuck. Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.